Well, graphically there you saw the inner workings of our worship. It's represented in what you're looking at right here on the stage. You've got the image of the church in the stained glass windows and the inner workings with these interlocking cogs right behind me. I've got friends who have a child who loves to take things to pieces, dismantle and find out how it works. It doesn't always get put back together as it should be, but he loves to discover how it works. I had another friend, he actually sponsored me into the USA, that's over 50 years ago now. He's on with the Lord. But he was a genius at understanding how clock pieces work in the old-fashioned clocks where you've got wind-up and springs and things that twist and move to give you the time. And he studied all kinds of different clock movements as he grew up. And, uh, and believe it or not, ladies, because some of you won't even know what I'm talking about, I don't think they wear them anymore, but he invented the machinery that knits pantyhose. Where you've got pants and leggings all in one piece. I've got four daughters, and you know, I don't think they wear that stuff anymore. I can remember my wife putting them on, the <laughs> kind of action. It looked something like that anyway. <laughs> right? I see some ladies nodding. Yeah. But can you imagine knowing the inner workings of how that happens? How about your smartphones? And you just sort of move those pictures across? You could prob- probably dial up pantyhose, inventor... Haynes Hosiery, and come up with my friend's name, Robert Peel. By the way, if any of you don't know how that works, what's happening when you do that, if you'll meet me outside afterwards, I'll tell you I don't know either. (laughs) Why do we do, as Jamie so eloquently put it, the things we do when we worship? It's amazing the bits and pieces that make it up. But we are going to be teaching across the space all the way, right, I would think, up to the Advent season, right through the fall, headed into Christmas, teaching the various aspects. And this morning we're taking a look at the creed. So I think that's what it says right on the front of your service sheet. Looking at the creed. We won't be saying it this week, we're saying it next week, but I'm always impressed with the way this particular congregation, maybe it's the confined space, maybe it's the music in the background that moves you, because you don't just say it, but you pound it out. The creed really is a series of rifle shots of truth. And we should belt it out. But the first statement is, I believe. And it's divided between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three statements about who God is, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one God. 
The Latin for I believe is credo. So that's where we get the English word creed. Credo, I believe in Latin. Those first words in the creed, which is what I'm going to be addressing this morning. I believe. The creed itself, the, the, I was going to say the Athanasian creed, that is yet another creed, uh, very similar to the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, which is an abbreviation of the Nicene Creed. And they are statements about who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In 325 A.D., So that's 4th century, 325 AD, leaders from the church all around the Mediterranean to where the church had spread in those 300 years or so. North Africa, which was primarily Christian then, before Islam came along and destroyed the church. All down the Palestinian coast, up and down. And Turkey, modern-day Turkey, Italy, Greece, Macedonia. The church leaders gathered at a little town, prominent in that day, looks very small today, called Nicaea. I've been there. So that's why it's called the Nicene Creed. They met in Nicaea, and because of the various teachings over those Hundreds of years, nearly 300 300 years about, they consolidating under the Spirit of God the wisdom of these scriptures and what they taught about God. And what we call orthodoxy, and that's not just the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, though that's where the same word comes from, the word orthodox is right opinion. That is right opinion. Right thinking. Right believing. Orthodoxy is measured, orthodoxy today is measured by the response to the creed, the I believe statements about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all the main churches, and I would think any church that's orthodox, you can soon sort it out by what they tell you about Jesus. That's second, I believe in Jesus Christ. You can soon find out whether they're orthodox But when you read a statement like, and you say a statement like, I believe in God the Father Almighty, next phrase, creator of heaven and earth. You are in the face of the predominant mindset in our culture that thinks matter has always been there somehow, and we've arrived by millions and billions of evolutionary little steps. And then you say... When you gather here for worship, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, some of you sort of put that together and say, well, maybe he created it through evolution. Some of you already thought that. Maybe that's the way it works. 
But most of the people who are pressing for us getting here by chance, by accident, do not believe in God. And the arguments they use against God are how impossible it would be for God to make us. That there is a personal God. I say right back to them, and you think this got together by chance? Accident? How'd you work that out? The nervous system? That I can think something and move my finger? That I can think something and speak it out? You think that all got here by accident? Give me a break. I tell you, either way, it's absolutely positively miraculous, but we do have the evidence of what God has done and said in history. So it's not just speculation. You can speculate all you like. It's not speculation, it's revelation. God has revealed himself, and ultimately so in the coming of Jesus. God in the flesh revealed himself to us. And the dynamic of who he is, so that after they've killed him, visibly dead, no question about it, and buried, three days later he walks out of the grave alive. And what stimulated the massive movement of Christianity across the world, which changed the world, was not just a moral code, not just some philosophical philosophical thinking, but the dynamic that God came in Jesus and rose again from the dead when we killed him, which gives right evidence, right way of thinking, orthodox opinion that when Jesus died on the cross, he died paying for our sins, as he said, and we'll celebrate here in communion, that he shed his blood as a sacrifice, his life poured out to pay for our sins so that the guilt, the shame, and the judgment we deserve, he paid for. That's orthodox. That's right thinking. That's right believing. It's clearly what the scripture teaches. The creed states it. That's why we, week after week, generally speaking, have it at the heart of our worship service. I believe. And those bazooka shots of truth come barreling out of your mouths. I do encourage you all the more progressively, as you get the courage to do it, aggressively, Speak it out. There's nothing worse than mumbling great truths. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What a misery. I think the same thing when people pray. You can hear people pray the Lord's Prayer and they just mumble it along. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. You know how that goes? Give me a break. Our Father... This is daddy we're talking to. Who's in heaven? Almighty. Who's got a kingdom and we pray that it comes on earth as it is in heaven. How dare we mumble that? So we speak out God's truth boldly. If you look at the scriptures that were read for us so well by Jamie, up on the screen they were. You've got them on page two in your service sheet. Take a look at it with me just a moment because there are a couple of words I want to address very briefly given time. 
Well, I'm not doing too badly here. But what does it, God's word, say? Here's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that was counter to the culture in that day because they all said Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. The Roman Empire, Caesar is Lord. You say Jesus is Lord, you're sticking your chin out there for the state to wallop you. Jesus is Lord. You say that. Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Believe. See the word? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It's almost like this is a mini creed in itself. For it is with your heart that you, here's the phrase again, believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So there's no such thing as a private, hidden, kind of Christian in anonymity behavior. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him, that is like believes in him, will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now you've got an international view of God. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that's Jew or Gentile, will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe, I'm emphasizing a word I want to come to, in the word, in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I just have to say in passing that the people who ran the news around, they had couriers. And they ran. And they ran over Hill and Dale, and they weren't riding on blacktop, nicely flattened paths. They were running over rocks and pebbles. And I'll tell you this their feet were ugly. I think most people's feet are ugly, no matter whether they paint the toenails or not. My mother used to. <laughs> Let me keep moving here. But what does the scripture say when you come with good news, when you're traveling? Those gnarled, cobbled feet are beautiful. From time to time, somebody says to me, thank you for bringing Jesus into my life. My wife and I were eating at Outback, one of her favorite places to eat, just a week ago. And my voice, being English and having been on the radio, is rather distinctive. So Kathy and I were talking, and as I got up from my booth, Robinson Eaton, um, Outback. Did I say Eaton Park? I did say Outback. Yeah, Outback. Make my way to where it's got blokes. That's Aussie for men. This lady came running out of her booth. 
And she stopped me. She said, are you John Guest? I said, I am. She said, I thought you were. She said, your preaching saved my son. I said, well, where was that? She said, at St. Stephen's Church in Sewickley. It's over 40 years ago. No, excuse me, over 20 years ago. Beautiful feet. <laughs> hey, no, 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 no. You've got beautiful feet when you take out that message. Such a powerful, important message. Do you believe it? When we say, I believe, do you really believe? I want to come to that. Because throughout this text, it's talking about believing. Martin Luther, in the 1500s, said, believing, Christian believing, saving faith, is about three words, and he had them in Latin. He was a scholar. The first word is notitia, like notice, it's the fact itself. What it says. Then a census, you can almost hear the English word there, that's to give assent to, intellectually acquiesce to, agree to the truth, the notice, the notitia. And the third word is fiducia, and you can immediately hear fiduciary, like fiduciary responsibility, which means entrusting yourself to. So it's the fact itself, giving intellectual assent, and then entrusting yourself to it. There is a way of looking at human personality, which is the mind with which you think, the will with which you choose, and the passions or emotions with which you feel. And the big deal is, not what you feel, because that can get manipulated, but what you choose to do in response to what you know. When this passage speaks about believing in the heart, it doesn't mean an emotional response. It means right at the core of your being, everything you are. I married a couple here yesterday, and I was both... (laughs) Oh, how much time have I got going here? I, got, I was bold enough to say to the guy that when it says about love for the man, he's to love his bride, his wife, like Christ loved the church. And that's to hold nothing back, lay it all down, surrender, give your best up sacrificially for the girl you're marrying. You guys, you're thinking about marriage that's what it's about. If you are married, start doing it. Sacri- the scripture says that we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How do you like those apples? Every woman knows from that same passage a similar statement. Wives, next word, obey your husband. <laughs> See, you knew it. My wife promised to. We use the old thing. She's never done it. Well, she's, she's come close here and there. I remind her of it, but it doesn't change much. I'm glad she's not here. <laughs> she's on the, co- the, adu- 
what's the name of it now? The, she's on the coast of Italy anyway. Bless her heart. I said to the girl, I said, you are to surrender yourself to your husband. To yield to him. In the same way, it's the picture again, that we yield to Christ. We put our trust in him. And I nearly sang, I was ready to do it, a song that my mother used to love. I mean, this is an old song, which Frank Sinatra style. All of me, why not take all of me? You know that song, some of you? I said, to surrender. Give yourself to him. Have you done that with Jesus? Have you surrendered? Because to believe is not just to have the information in your head. It's to give your life over to Jesus. So when we say, I believe, I believe, I'm just addressing that first statement of the creed. I believe. Let me tell you, quickly there's a clock down here about a chap by the name of Blondin B-L-O-N-D-I-N and in the late 1800s he pulled off a stunt at the Niagara Falls he suspended tautly as he could a rope from Canada to America across the falls and said he was going to walk across it, tightrope fashion. You realize with that kind of span, the rope is going to be like that. You can't get it dead straight. And it is going to sway in the breeze thrown up by the falls and whatever else is creating air movement. And the crowds came both ends. He was already famous to watch him do it. Probably to watch him go down into the falls. And he came and he walked across that and they applauded. They thought it was spectacular and it was. And then he did something even more spectacular. He took a wheelbarrow that he had prepared and the wheel, he shaped around the wheel so that it would roll on the rope, the rope fitting up into the wheel. And he pushed the wheelbarrow across the falls. And they went nuts. And then he said, do you believe I could do that again? And they said, yes, yes. He said, do you believe that I could get someone in that wheelbarrow and push them across? They all said, yes, yes. And then he said to a little boy at the front of the crowd, jump in and I'll take you. And that kid was gone. I mean, he got lost in the crowd. That's us. Do we believe? Will we get in the wheelbarrow? Will we entrust all that we have and all that we are to Jesus? That's what we're saying when I believe. It's not just intellectual agreement and assent. It's the fiducia. It's entrusting ourselves to Jesus. That's all that we are physically, 
intellectually, emotionally, relationally, giftedly, our careers, our wealth we surrender to Him, our giftedness we surrender to Him, our past we surrender to Him, our potential we surrender to Him, everything we sit here with right now we surrender to Him. We are in the barrow of Jesus. So when we say, I believe, that's what we're really saying. So as we make our way through all the inner workings of worship, the first statement out of the creed, I believe, is an essential part of the rest of it. Because it's what makes prayer work. When we're singing, we're not just singing words, we're worshiping. It's not just human physical action, it's spiritual. It's not just us gathering together and playing nice with each other. It's God making us his family to use us potently and bless us, meet us. Let's pray and speak to him about that. Because you are about to come to the Lord's table and kneel to receive bread and wine. But you will be kneeling if you can get down on your knees. If you can't, then you can stand to receive. But most of you get down on your knees. Does you see yourself coming? See yourself coming to Jesus and offering him all that you are, all that you have, the full potential of your life surrendered to him, all of me. Why not take all of me? Please, Jesus. And that's our prayer. As hesitantly as we may surrender and yield to you, O Lord Jesus, please receive us, hold us, Embrace us, fill us, use us, for we do tell you, we believe. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Thank you, Jesus.